0: Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Newburn Podcast. My name is Paul Scott Shernitsky, and I'm one of your hosts. I am joined today by my co-host, Anna.
1: Hey, Paul Scott.
0: This is... I actually misspoke last week, and then I cut that part out so no one would notice. But this is our 52nd episode.
1: <gasps> That's so exciting!
0: I guess that means we've done it for a whole year. We're
1: a year old.
0: This is a year old. This is our big anniversary episode. Do we
1: get a smash cake?
0: We were supposed to bring cake and party flavors and things that make...
1: Pretty wee, wee I didn't do that.
0: I didn't do that either. Yeah. Uh, you know why? Because we're prepping potentially for a storm?
1: Yes. Who knows? I mean, I think the water is high. Um, the tide is high. But we're holding on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that you're just re- you're you're just rehearsing song lyrics i don't know if that's really what's that's not an official forecast no, if you're listening not. to this on monday the storm's probably passed last night um, right now we're sitting here on thursday mm-hmm. and we're supposed to get yeah the water's supposed to rise we're going to get rain a lot friday and then it's actually strangely supposed to be sunny and then rain some more.
1: We have a very, very big wedding here on Saturday. A family that grew up here at the church, going to be a lot of fun. So I would love it if it weren't pouring.
0: I think, I mean, like I said, right now there's supposed to be a break in the storm. It's supposed to be sunny. It's going to be beautiful.
1: Having said that, fully recognize So much suffering and people. The pictures are unreal. Our former interim pastor and child of this church, Eddie Bellis, his church was right in the eye of the storm, and we're waiting to get photos. He'll go tomorrow. He's doing okay, but he's going to go tomorrow to check out the church, see what's going on. So um, don't want... I mean, yes, I would love for this wedding to be lovely, but fully recognize that in the bigger context, um, there are bigger things to worry about.
0: Yeah, I forgot about Eddie being down there. I have family down there. I think a lot of people in the South, for some reason, maybe just because of the Southeast, but have people in Florida, like connections yes. in Florida. Mm-hmm. So uh, this week's sermon, um, uh, I just uh, really... When I go home, I live in Maysville. So when I leave New Bern and go home, I pass a Baptist church. And, and on their sign, a lot of times, it always says, come as you are. And um, I was thinking about that as you were talking about um, being enough, Mm -hmm. about not wanting more. Yes. Um, What's that all about? What was the sermon about? The main, what was the main topic?
1: Well, it's from a really interesting passage in Luke where it's kind of some tidbits that's just sort of thrown together. Well, I shouldn't say thrown together, but it's sort of odds and ends of some of Jesus' sayings that are put in one place, and the scholars aren't really sure why they're there. But a part of it is the disciples asking for more faith because they really don't feel like they can measure up. And Jesus essentially says, you have enough faith. It's, it's about the God that's in the faith, and more isn't always what we need. Um, I would say for churches to say, I mean, we say come as you are, we are not, there's no dress code, but that's really sort of saying churches didn't always say that. You were supposed to dress a certain way, um, behave a certain way, and I think we're recognizing that that's not really how the body of Christ works.
0: Yeah, so I googled come as you are, because when I pass it, Uh, going into town i think of uh an old rock song from the 90s a grunge song from nirvana Mm -hmm. come as you are and so i thought wow i wonder if kurt cobain uh was making a biblical reference i came into your office and said anna anna is come as you are in the (laughs) bible and you said no and then i googled it and she's right you were right it doesn't say no and it is actually says it's a little bit conflicting um his history of that mm-hmm. phrase yeah like like you mentioned and then also that uh, the point of come as you are is that you come as you are and that's a starting point for your to begin your your journey with God
1: yeah and I think I think that is important and I do think that we have relaxed some um, and I think that's good I, I do think that while come as you are may be a new way that we talk about it I think for a long time we thought Jesus meets us where we are and and that's a really important thing that The pressure sometimes, or this image that people of faith have it together, or we've got it all figured out, or I can't do that until I get it all figured out. And instead, you are enough, and God works with you where you are. I also really love the phrase, and this shows up in sermons all the time, God loves you exactly the way you are, and God loves you too much to let you stay that way. Nice. Yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. Uh, we also did communion. It's communion what you said it's world communion? What does that mean?
1: It is. It's um it's a day that traditionally, and I would say I wouldn't say all faiths, but but most Protestant faiths, um churches that don't celebrate communion every Sunday, it's it's a day that sort of ecumenically with churches all around the world. It's a day when we all celebrate communion.
0: If you if you were coming to First Press here at this church and you were new to Uh, maybe Presbyterian way of doing things. How many times, well, first of all, communion, do we walk up in a line like in Catholic Church? Sometimes. Oh, sometimes. Yes. We don't drink out of the same cup here?
1: No, we do not drink out of the same cup. We have
0: little things. Do we drink real wine or grape juice?
1: Grape juice. You are allowed to offer wine, but if you offer wine, you have to also have grape juice. And so it's just easier to do grape juice, which is also why we don't drink from the same cup.
0: I think I've said, in our, we've had a year of podcasts, I'm pretty sure I told a story one time where I, I went up to First Communion when I wasn't supposed to, before my First Communion, because I was raised in the Catholic Church, Yeah. so I'm not going to go over that again, but let yeah. me just say, after my actual First Communion, I didn't like the taste of wine, and so I would go up in the Catholic line, and they'd give me the cup, and I'd just hold my lips really tight, <laughs> and I'd pretend to drink, but yeah. I wouldn't really actually drink. Um. It tasted yucky.
1: I will let your priest speak to the validity of that. I'm fine with it. But your priest may have a different opinion, and I am not authorized to speak on that.
0: So then, again, with the whole, I'm coming to First Pres for the first time, I'm getting into this church, uh, how many times a year do you do Communion? Roughly? Here
1: we do communion about 10 to 12 times a year. Sometimes they're at like Monday Thursday service or the late Christmas Eve service. Originally, John Calvin thought you should have communion every Sunday. Every time the word was read and proclaimed, you respond with communion. But people had gone so long without having communion frequently, it was too much of a change. And so I grew up celebrating communion quarterly. And we we do more than that now because we recognize that's a long time. But sometimes it's traditional, and in the Presbyterian Church, that's where the elders serve people in the pews with the little glasses and a piece of bread. Um, Sometimes we do intinction, which means to dip, and you walk forward, and you take a piece of bread, and you dip it in the juice. And I'll say the servers are really careful, particularly now with COVID, and how we prepare things, and also that... People's hands don't go in the juice. You are very careful about that, um, and and people also sometimes come up and they don't take communion, but they get a blessing. And you know they might be immunocompromised or just being very very careful. So we do, do it different
0: do, ways. Do they do first communion like they do in the Catholic Church? Like, or do do kids go up for communion?
1: Um, yes and no. Um, it's the policy of the Presbyterian Church is that children can take communion whenever their parents deem it is appropriate. And that's because kids may not fully understand communion, but to say that they can't take communion because they don't fully understand it presumes that we fully get communion. And we certainly don't. God's grace is bigger than all of us. So we do not keep children away from the table. It's up to their parents. Now, here at First Presbyterian, we have a sacraments class. And that's where kids go and they learn a little bit more about, you know, at an age, I think it's first, second grade, and they can learn more about communion, what it means, and why we're doing it, and how we do that. And then we don't really call it First Communion anymore. For some kids, it will be their First Communion. But others have taken it before, and now they're just learning about it. So we just call it the sacraments class, and then they take communion together in worship. So it's, um, But everyone is welcome.
0: I probably should have taken the class because I I come to church here in real life every once in a while, Mm -hmm. and I was here one time for communion. My first time that there was Presbyterian Communion, Mm -hmm. again, raised Catholic— in Catholic church, you get in the line, you wait, your yep. turn, then the priest hands you it, you put it in your mouth, you're out of there. Yeah. So when the elders uh, handed had the plate of bread and I grabbed, this was pre-COVID too, but I grabbed a piece of bread and I just went ahead and ate it and kind of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like, yeah. thanks, high five, <laughs> done. And then, of course, they handed it out to everyone else and everyone waited for the, to the pastor, it was, it was, I think it was Eddie, to like do the thing
1: which is not all churches do that. So there should be an announcement. I mean we often do that and I say recognizing that we are one body, we partake together. So please hold the bread. Um, but that's not that's that's just a tradition. That's not
0: I'm pretty sure Eddie Bellis law. left me hanging. I'm pretty sure he left me hanging out there.
1: Well, you know, I will say as preachers we are human and sometimes we forget announcements, but usually we do announce that. And but here's the good de- good news. You did not break any theological laws by taking communion as you received it.
0: Another thing I used to do in the Catholic Church, I used to have gum in my mouth, and I'd be like, (laughs) "Uh uh-oh, it's communion time. And so I had this, I mean, again, pre-COVID, not pre-germs, I'm not saying this wasn't germy, but I I I could sneak the gum out of my mouth, put it under one of my hands, put my other hand on top of that, smashing the gum, like sandwiching the gum with my hands. Then I would hold them in front of me like a nice... You know, altar boy. Yeah. And I'd go up there and I'd do a little rotation of the hands and then hold them out for the priest. And then I'd take the communion and then I'd get the gum and I'd put the gum back in my mouth. Wow. Amen.
1: Just wow.
0: I mean, germs, yes, but craft, you know.
1: Um, impressive craftiness. One time in church... Um I had a kid who brought a lizard that he'd caught outside when he was still playing and, <laughs> and we're in the choir and he's wiggling and he has a lizard. He just put it in his shirt as he was getting ready to leave his house and just brought it to church. Brought
0: the lizard to church.
1: Yeah. I feel like y'all could have hung. Like yeah. y'all y'all would have yeah. gotten along just fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we do some things. All right. Well, we hope you made it through the storm. We're praying yeah. for our people down in Florida, and we hope to hear news from them soon. Yes. We want you to have a great week. What's going on at the church this week?
1: Yes, we have a great week. I'll always check the website. But next Sunday, October 9th, Bernard George is coming to teach a Sunday school class, 940 to 1040, and he's going to talk about the Civil War in New Bern and how that led to the formation of the Black Church here in New Bern. He's a local historian who just has volumes of history in his mind, and that's going to be a great, great class. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: Great. That sounds awesome. Yep. Cool. Well, we we'll hope to see you then and we hope to see you in real life. We hope if you need to watch uh, the service on YouTube and we hope you have a great week.
1: Absolutely. And let us know if you need help anywhere. Let us pray. God of grace and God of glory, in the quietness of these moments, we wait for your Spirit. Tune our ears to hear the promise of your salvation. Incline our hearts toward your message of peace. Summon our will to respond to your word with justice and love that we might go forth in joy. Through Christ we pray, amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Luke. We're reading from the 17th chapter, starting with verse number one, And going through verse number 10. Jesus said to his disciples, occasions from stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field and say, Come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me? Put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've often said that writing a sermon is a little bit like putting together a 500 piece puzzle. Only you have about a thousand pieces on the table. As you put the puzzle together, you find that there are extra pieces, pieces that at one point seem significant or important, but that nonetheless must be left to the side. They don't make the cut. It turns out that writing a gospel is a little bit like that, too. And we think that because we have our reading for today. It appears as though Luke has gathered stories and sayings of Jesus, and they are put together in a very significant order. Placement is very important in the Gospels. Things are rarely in a place without some significant reason. But the general consensus with these verses seems to be is that it feels a little bit like Luke had some extra sayings and stories, And he wasn't really sure where to put them. And so he put them all together in this one place because he could not cut them out. They were too important and too good. And so he just puts them here. And in these readings, we start by hearing about forgiveness. Jesus has just shared some pretty fierce parables. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, the manager of injustice, Lazarus and the rich man. And I imagine that people who are hearing those parables might be a little bit tender. They all hit pretty close to home. There wasn't a soul listening to those parables who didn't get called out in one way or another or called in by Jesus's words. So this section starts with forgiveness, a word of comfort, a word of reassurance. Jesus forgives and tells them that they must forgive, not just once, but seven times and in some versions, seven times, seven times each day, no matter how often forgiveness is important. Repentance, which Jesus includes in this passage is of course different from reconciliation. Forgiveness. That's something that sets us free from the burden of carrying someone else's baggage, carrying someone else's weight. Sets us free. Forgiveness. And that's what God is doing for us. God is setting us free. God is setting us free by forgiving us, without proof, without a letter of recommendation, without passing a test. Jesus is promising forgiveness here for all those who have heard these very difficult parables. And I suspect it might have been a word of comfort for those who had just heard those challenging words. It was a reminder that God's love is not predicated on performance. God's love is not predicated on performance. But given all of this, it's understandable that the disciples are feeling a little bit lacking. They've just been told they need to forgive seven times, sometimes as much as seven times seven, even in one given day they feel a little bit lacking, and so they ask Jesus to increase their faith, to be able to accomplish all of the things Jesus has asked them to do. And I get it. We are accustomed as humans, as human beings, to think that we can solve most things with one word, more. More money will fix this. More time off will fix this. More help will fix this. More sleep will fix this. And personally, I'm fairly convinced that there are very few things in this world that aren't helped by more of a casserole or more of a little bit of dessert. I think if it doesn't fix things, it at least helps it. I think that's one of the mentalities Jesus is trying to reverse here. And he tells them this. If you had even the faith of a mustard seed, one of the tiniest seeds we know, It's enough to uproot a tree and move it, a mustard seed. He's telling them it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the power of God that is behind your faith that accomplishes all things. It's your ability to trust God that will lead you and guide you. More isn't necessarily better here, Jesus tells them. Jesus tells us. And I can't help but wonder what would look different in your world if you valued enough instead of more. The idea of enough is likely one of the core foundations of the passages that we read today, including the one that probably fell flat on your ears. It certainly falls flat on my ears. The one that talks about servants or slaves and about the work they are expected to do. Now, I can tell you about how the practice of slavery was very different in Jesus's times than what we know about enslaving people in this nation, a sin that this nation has not yet recovered from. I can tell you that the language of Luke is describing not just thanking someone for their work by inviting them to sit at the table, but creating a situation in which the master now owes the servant. I can tell you that worthless here might be better translated as undeserving, and it creates a context when you understand the language in a different way of not being chided by God, but instead being encouraged to see what God is capable of doing with us as we are. I can tell you all of those things, but maybe it's best just to say that it's a hard passage, but at the center of it is this idea that enough is what we have. We have enough, and how would our world be different if we valued enough instead of wanting more? Consider these words from Brene Brown. Stop walking through the world looking for confirmation that you don't belong. You will always find it because you've made that your mission. Stop scouring people's faces for evidence that you're not enough. You will always find it because you've made that your goal. True belonging and self-worth are not goods. We don't negotiate their value with the world. The truth about who we are lives in our hearts. Our call to courage is to protect our wild heart against constant evaluation, especially our own no one belongs here more than you. How might my world be different if I valued enough instead of always wanting more? Or consider as we prepare to gather at the table that is our Lord's table, as we prepare to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's supper. And we prepare to do so with a small piece of bread and a sip of juice. Hear these words from Jan Richardson. It's entitled, Blessing of Enough. I know how small this blessing seems, just a morsel that hardly matches the sharp hunger you carry inside of you. But trust me when I say that I can scarcely believe it myself, that between and behind and beneath these words, there is a space where a table has been laid, a feast, All has been prepared, all has been made ready for you, and it will be enough and more. A piece of bread and a sip of juice are enough. There would not be more of Jesus, even if we had a whole loaf of bread and a hog's head of juice, or even the finest wine. This bread, this juice, this is answering Jesus' invitation, and it is enough for God to meet us there. What would look different in our world if we valued enough instead of always wanting more? At this point in the Gospels, the disciples felt as though they didn't measure up, that they didn't have what they needed, that they didn't have what it was going to take to do what Jesus needed them to do. Jesus saw it differently. We know differently. After all, these are the ones who, after Jesus ascends, tell the story, make sure people know about Jesus' message and God's saving love. They're the ones who share it. We are here because of them, because they were enough. We know that they were enough, but at this point they don't really know that yet. And I suspect that part of that was that their desire for more faith was wrapped up in feeling like they needed to get everything perfect in order to be able to act on what Jesus was teaching them and sharing them and showing them. They let perfection become the enemy of good. And none of us is perfect. I think part of what's being wrapped up and never feeling like we are enough is this idea that we're supposed to be perfect instead of valuing where we've been and where we are now and knowing that it's where we've been and the roads that we've traveled, the tears we've shared and the laughter we've experienced, that's made us who we are, that has helped us be enough and helped us be the ones that God is calling. In April of 2019, something terrible happened. Notre Dame, Notre Dame, in Paris caught fire. It happened on a news day when everyone focused on watching Notre Dame burn on their computer screens and their televisions. We watched as that sacred space went up in flames. We saw the spire topple and it seemed as though the walls were crumbling. But in the weeks that followed, something amazing happened. Not only did we find out that many of the treasures inside had been able to be removed before they were destroyed, but we found out that some of the most spectacular aspects of Notre Dame had not been destroyed some of the organs and particularly some of the most spectacular stained glass windows. And do you know what they discovered saved those windows? A layer of dirt. They hadn't been washed in almost a hundred years and somehow that layer of dirt that was upon them protected them from the flames. They were imperfect and it was exactly that which saved them. If they had been perfectly clean, They would have been destroyed. The windows were enough as they were. And so are we, friends, so are we. Beloved, you are enough, enough to be children of God, children of God who are called here and now as you are. Not perfect, but children of God who are loved, You are called into this place and you are called out into the world to be the good news and to go where there is need. We don't have to have hero abilities or capes to do that. God needs you. God needs me. And God needs us. And the faith that is already in us. To lean on that and to know it is enough. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. one go with us, wherever you may lead us, guide us through the wilderness, protect us in this storm. Bring us home rejoicing, the wonders you have shown us. Bring us home rejoicing, once again unto your door. Alleluia. Amen.